How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. I believe with every fiber of my being that the course I have set out is the right one for our country and all our people. What has been achieved today is not Brexit. I don't believe this government has negotiated fairly or effectively. Brexit is a lose-lose situation. We have always followed the EU mandate. It is utterly unacceptable to anybody who believes in democracy. Hello and welcome to Brexit The Final Countdown. Sorry that we're a day late, but um, yesterday I was doing something a little bit more exciting than this. <laughs> Oh, Do you want God. to know what I was doing? <laughs> what on earth could be more exciting than this? I was an esteemed guest at the Ozone Project on a panel about the nature of truth and journalism and, and the future of news. It was incredible. I would encourage everyone to scroll through the Twitter moment. Um, okay. Um, um, and what, what did we conclude? The d- tru- truth is beauty. The tr- truth then, is beauty and the truth is out there, Paul. Okay. Um... We Great. seek to find it every day. Exactly. We do. In Vino Veritas, I said that. Oh, also good. You're getting a bit of Boris there, aren't you? I'm very Boris. Um, it's great to be joined by Paul Baldwin, express.co.uk polemicist. Hello. Hi. And the one and only reigning Brit in Brussels, Joe Barnes, our Europe editor. Hello. Hello. I'm, of course, Mensa member and occasional vegan, Becca Hudson. <laughs> nice to meet you. Hello. <laughs> you know what I said hello, on you? <laughs> no, I told you what I was doing. Okay. We've got 328 days of transition period left. <gasps> let's treasure them that's not well <laughs> that's just not enough so, i want more Boris wants more as well we all want more so we, we should probably begin okay um on friday evening we left the eu guys we did nearly a week ago we did but this is the first time we've been able to convene as a power trio so i thought we could just quickly touch on how we thought the celebrations on friday went what you were all doing when the clock struck 11pm? <laughs> I had a little look down uh, College Green, Parliament, and it was it was okay. A bit muted, very British. Um, right. A bit, little bit more lively up in Glasgow, I hear. Oh, really? But um, maybe it always is a little bit I, more lively I, yeah, up in Glasgow. Yeah, a typical Friday night in Glasgow. Um, but it was, it was um, we, were, we were kind of moaning last week that it seemed like a big deal that wasn't being... Uh, marked very well. Mm. Well, it was kind of marked in a quite a British way, really. A kind of understated, you know. <laughs> like a bunch of drunk people they, they, with cans. Well, they weren't even that drunk. Well, they weren't allowed yeah, to drink, they, were they? They weren't allowed to drink, so, you know. Just sort of standing in the rain, singing. flag waving. Looked a bit like the people who couldn't get into the last night of the proms, really. We <laughs> 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 were a bit lost on the way to the Albert Hall. I think know? it was a slightly different demo from the um, last night in the proms. <laughs> but been, I, you know, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Joe, what was it like um, on the continent? Um... It was it was it was bizarre. It was quite. Um, I went into kind of a one of the local English themed pubs to watch Sky News in the corner um, while everyone was kind of sipping on their uh, Guinness and uh, Scotch whiskey and all kind of products from our aisles that are known for. Um, and it was it was generally quite somber. I think a lot of people kind of felt that while they might have not been actually affected by Brexit, it is kind of a separation between kind of the English people and the British people that made lives on the continent and now they feel that a little bit further distant from home. Um, but I think that was kind of the moment. It was a big moment, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was we've been yeah, building yeah. up to that for three and a half years and it, I, I guess it's that 
kind of the shock of it actually happening and becoming a reality that kind of hits people. Yeah. And so I think like when so we bumped, bumped into Nigel Farage, had a few chats with him across kind of the time when he was in Brussels voting for the deal, and he kind of realised actually this is 25, 30 years worth of work that I put in, and finally it's happening. Um, the Lib Dems were kind that of... That sounds a bit like you, actually, like, Joe. What? <laughs> Generous? <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like the Lib Dems are kind of weird going, oh, we actually thought we generally once had a chance of stopping it, but now we know it's happened. We we can't, like, rejoin. We're not going to get another kind of reversal referendum for a generation. So kind of that's our recent work out the window. So it's kind of... It's mixed feelings, I think, for everyone. Yeah. I was, uh, just as a slight aside, but I was um, I was shifting some books out of the, the loft um earlier in the week and uh i found some my douglas adams collection and there's one called um so long and thanks for all the fish and i thought that would be the perfect <laughs> the perfect uh, parting gesture from the eu oh, well, that's so perfect well good things come to those who wait am i right uh indeed indeed yes. um, and then on monday it all kind of flared up again we weren't brexit was done but it really isn't done is it and the saber rattling i believe is what you call it in media cliche between barnier and brussels sorry barnier and boris began again um where boris kind of made this sort of pretty punchy speech about um how there will be no alignment um that we won't there will be no free trade agreement that will involve accepting eu rules on competition policy etc blah 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 and then obviously we heard barnier saying joe i don't know if you want to come in and tell me what barnier said because i now actually can't remember but, well, <laughs> he, 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 he said the complete opposite he said he wants britain to kind of dynamically align to the eu's kind of state aid and competition rules he wants to see no regression in environmental workers rights um and kind of those kind of good standards like safety standards um fishing is a precondition to have a fisheries deal that looks a lot like that kind of the hated common fisheries policy that we've heard kind of campaigners brexiteers speak about he wants that basically built on for a future fisheries agreement between the eu and uk and um, as a precondition for the deal so we've got red meat on both sides of the channel um so we're kind of getting ready to lock horns and smash heads together and actually try and how do we come together to to do a deal when it's so contrasting at the moment there seems to be two things here, Joe. If 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 I'm thinking straight, which is the the fishing thing seems to be wholly separate from he's he's not making the argument you must align with our you know rules on health and safety and blah blah blah. He just wants the fish, right? It's just a he's he's trying to use his leverage as a bullying to 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 get um you know. You can have access to our markets if you give us our fish. Is basically what he's saying, isn't it? Or give us your fish. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's that's one thing. Basically, what 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 the kind of the message from the EU is: we want fish, and we want this level playing field, um, which basically eliminates Britain from becoming more competitive and allow having access to the EU markets, um, which is their two main fears. That if we lose Britain's fish, it'd be French fishermen in uproar. Macron would be out of a job. You'd have loads of Belgian fishermen, uh, loads of kind of Spanish fishermen, all kind of use our waters as kind of a, a holy grail because I was, I was reading today that actually because of the cooling temperature around britain in its waters um it's actually become a really vibrant place to catch fish we have more fish than ever and 30 percent of um the turnover of french fishermen comes from british waters so that's kind of industry industry breaking yeah uh kind of uh, numbers if they are suddenly cut out of access you can see where they're quite keen to uh, yeah to retain access to those exactly waters. exactly and then but you can see why we're why we're so keen to re, kind of reclaim because it's all about all about sovereignty all about being able to control our own destiny and not having kind of our waters in the hands of bureaucrats in brussels 
Yes, and uh, what's, what's your feeling? There seems to be a slight suspicion that um, Boris is about to sell out the uh, the fisherman, though, and and use it as a bargaining chip and basically uh, dance to Barnier's tune. What do you think? Um, so in, in, the, in the British mandate, so both sides put out kind of a text which kind of sets out what they want. And Boris said, look, we're kind of happy to do a fisheries deal, but it's going to be based on an annual negotiation of shared stocks and basically a market access and quota quota sharing between. So, you know what? I think the kind of the middle ground, the compromise um, kind of position here is actually we have, we do what the EU says in terms of quota sharing and, and that, but we base it on an annual negotiation like Norway does with the EU. So the EU, Norway is yeah. not part of the common fisheries policy. It has its own separate kind of Norway-EU agreement. So that's what we do. So we say we've taken back control, in reality, what we're doing is we're kind of accepting what the EU kind of puts forward in terms of quota shares and, and kind of market access. But we just do that on a rolling annual basis. And it'd best be a tick box exercise where the agriculture minister uh, comes over, the fisheries minister comes over to Brussels and signs on the dotted line just to say, look, okay, we said you can this year. And maybe there might be a kind of a, we can revoke access if we think that you're being harsh on us somewhere else. But um, it's, a, it's a hard circled square, but in reality, the fishing industry is uh, it's a, it's kind of an, an upsetting argument because it's become so symbolic. It's not actually as big as our financial services industry. Yeah. Um, some of the other manufacturing industries that Boris is probably desperate to have access, continued access for into EU markets. I think the, the financial service industry is 200 times as big as the fishing industry. I mean, it's not even comparable, right? But it's just not as emotive, is it? That's No, that's exactly. The thing. There was, one, there was one statistic floating around a while back, but Britain's fishing industry is as big as its sit-on lawnmower industry. <laughs> okay. um, and, how many, and how many people do you know with a uh, sit-on lawnmower? Yeah, no, well, indeed. in Brighton, yeah. probably quite a few. But <laughs> <laughs> this has taken a very fishy turn, it but I did taken, enjoy it. What's yeah. your favourite type of fish, Paul, just quickly? Uh, well, um, my daughter tells me I'm not allowed to eat cod, so haddock. Currently. Okay, and Joe, your fish, to jo- to fish of choice, fish of the day? I, I always like to say, I always like to say there's a time and a place for this. <laughs> oh good time and a place yeah well, no, I see that now. no I, it, it, there was a delay but i will blame that on the line um obviously after, after, <laughs> after uh, boris's barnstorming speech on monday we saw, we saw the pound uh, fell in value um as the city kind of freaked out that he was going to be prepared to exchange tariffs for sovereignty and it just does feel a little familiar doesn't it you know this kind of back and forth Dance to my tune, no dance to my tune between us and the EU. The market's a little bit volatile, everyone freaks out. I mean, do we think that this negotiation for the trade deal is going to be any different to the way that the WAB rolled out? That's the withdrawal agreement bill. You know, do we, is there going to be any change in tactic or is this just what it's like when you're trying to negotiate? Uh, I, I think it's going to be, um, I mean, Boris is obviously playing a much, taking a much harder line and there's mm. going to be a lot more uh, knocking of heads. But I think we can already see, I mean, the, the um, financial services industry, or sales to Europe is worth about 26 billion a year, mm. which is a lot of money. And it, is, it? it would be foolish to risk that for, yeah. in, in some ways, for, um, you know, um, dealing on quotas, on fishing quotas. Mm. So, but it is a really, really emotive issue to the uh, British. Absolutely. Right? Much more than financial, boring financial services, boring but fantastically wealthy financial yeah, services. It tends to be how it but goes. But we don't really care because we have a massive history, massive maritime history and a massive uh, history of, um, of fishing our shores. Yeah. And, and, um, and it, and it kind of, you know, it cuts into the British psyche somehow mm. in the way that um, 
bankers probably never will. I mean, and this is the Prime Minister who once famously said he was prepared to F business. I'll let your imagination no, indeed, indeed. figure out yeah. what that F word was. Yeah. I think it was um, fish, wasn't it? <laughs> it all got very complicated. <laughs> um, would you like to join me down under with Dominic Brown? <laughs> <laughs> who are <I> missing? <laughs> He's down there. Um, <laughs> we've started the tr- we've started trades, haven't trade negotiations and conversations, Joe, haven't we? Dominic Raab is in Australia with his counterpart. He's given a quite boring speech this morning. Um, but you've got some theories about the symbolism of these ministers being kind of farmed out to far-flung and exotic places, haven't you? Okay, so what we have for the first time in God knows year, God knows how long, um, is actually a stonking Commons majority for the government. And what that enables them to do is, is to send ministers out on these kind of smoozing missions across the world and kind of roll out the dip- roll out kind of the diplomatic envoys and send them like actually using government ministers, your senior kind of your top brasses to actually go and conduct these meetings on, on the world stage because they have no fear that the opposition is about to kind of crash their governments. They're not, was it, was it Margaret Thatcher back? She went to Paris and um, her government ended up kind of ending up on the end of collapsing. And Theresa May for that reason was always fearful of going abroad. But now Boris Johnson can jet off, Dominic Raab can jet off without having to, any worries about having to rush back to the Commons for an emergency no-confidence vote. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I think the looming threat of uh, Jeremy Corbyn isn't quite what it once was. (laughs) I don't think anyone's seen him for a few weeks. Um, Were we impressed by Dominic Raab's performance? You know, does he deserve this place on the world stage? I mean, I speak as someone who who obviously was an envoy for this great business yesterday at the Ozone Project. Um, So, I I, I mean, I don't know if you want to draw some comparisons between my sort of diplomatic abilities and Dominic Raab's. I I, I think he's a a very, very much... um, Second class compared to yours, frankly. But, <laughs> uh, but and also, it, it struck me that is he is he starting in the furthest away place that he can possibly find <laughs> for trade negotiations? Then he's going to work his way work back. His way back. <laughs> I also end up in Calais. This is the man who eats the same prep lunch every day. Did you know? So he has a chicken and bacon baguette every day. So I'm not sure if there is if they have prep in Australia. Well, he's probably getting them shipped out. Do you think? Yeah, yeah, well, something for that kind of you know. That's our first trading point. Yeah, exactly. We can introduce Pretamondra. Yeah. Whole new market. So, you know how we used to turn the world <laughs> that pink? That famously British-sounding company, yeah. Pretamondra. But when we used to turn the world pink with the empire, we can now turn it that sort of maroon colour of Pret. I think it kind of works. I just, yeah, just, he's a curious guy, isn't he? Um, he said that um, we obviously have, we already have a trading business in place with Australia worth 17 million, but obviously the sky's the limit now, guys. Um, and that's what we and and so there's talks of expanding that and then he also is going to go to japan afterwards this is a great uh, gap he, here that he's, he's on he's quite um quite a difficult man to warm to but um i've got a buddy in the well what used to be called the department for existing brexit or whatever it's called <laughs> and uh he, he said that dominic is a very clever guy and very quick at grasping situations which I think is uh, apart from good. how all close we are to Calais, because we do remember that sort of stark realization he had when he realized how close the UK was to We've Calais. We've all made that mistake. <laughs> I thought it was way further away. Yeah, maybe he's been given a map <laughs> for Christmas and he's swatted up and he's located in Australia finally. <laughs> well, that's maybe thought. He's just <laughs> if he can name the country, he's allowed to go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sure. I'm sure. There he's is doing a funny. Um, there's a funny story about Dominic Raab in Brussels. Though. Is it rude? I do hope. Uh, no. Okay, um, is it funny? He, he, <laughs> he was basically, he, he didn't make many friends while he was over here trying to conduct negotiations. And he basically became known as the turnip because, it's, because. his name is similar to the translation for turnip in Dutch. <laughs> oh, no. So amongst okay. the kind of uh, the Dutch MEPs and the Dutch kind of officials in, in the council and the commission, they oh. 
started naming him the turnip. Um, <laughs> there was nothing to do with his kind of bald head. So our, our most senior and uh, respected envoy was called Turnip Boy then, was it? <laughs> yes, basically. Um, I don't think he made many... He didn't make many friends while he was over here in Brussels. No. I think if I were to be a, few, a, fru- uh, a root vegetable, I should like to be a butternut squash because it's just <laughs> got so many fun elements. What would you be, Paul, if you were a, a root vegetable? root <laughs> vegetable. Um, you could be a sweet with, potato. With, with lovely debate. You could be a parsnip. Soaring this week, I'm just trying it? to make it more accessible. For <laughs> <laughs> is, is, a Brussels, is, a Brussels, is a Brussels sprout a root vegetable? Hey. No, I'm afraid it isn't. Yeah. Uh, you could maybe be a parsnip, though, because it's sort of a bit misleading and you think it's a potato, but it's nowhere near as fun, <laughs> is it, a parsnip? I'm not sure what yours is, Paul, but I'll think about okay. it. Okay. Well, yeah, okay. Um, okay, I think that must be enough for the trade negotiations for this podcast. I, it's exhausting. It, if- uh, it's going to be exhausting for Joe, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> He's not getting sure leave. He doesn't get sure leave till Christmas. He'll be over, to, he'll be over <laughs> no, by Christmas, right. Joe. They tell me. <laughs> well, no, um, in, in, in reality, the EU trade deal, we hopefully will know what most of it is done by the time that kind of July rattles around and it comes to that deadline of um, the extension of the transition period, which Boris says he won't do. But will he be forced into it at a late notice if the EU hasn't actually done anything on his side, on their side, sorry. So so I think we, we should know by then. But yes, you're right. Um, it will probably go right down to the wire again. And we will be on, the, on, that, on that minute to midnight kind of train um, hurt them towards a no deal and then eventually something could get done uh, just like it happened this time. We've been there before. Yeah. Oh, one more thought, actually, before we, just before we leave this. Um, just because I wrote a piece about it in the week, which is um, the other side of the trade thing, which was um, this this notion, this idea that somehow uh, standards are higher on the other side of the channel than they are over here, and that we somehow have to pull our socks up and meet EU um, rulings and levels um, rather than our own. And it, it just, it's just not true. Our... our um, Employment legislation has always been way ahead of the EU's. More protection for um, maternity. Absolutely. And, and women, uh, yeah. Working hours, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And, and um, there's a, there's a, it's that kind of EU arrogance that, no, you must you must be as good as us. And it's like, actually, we're way ahead of you. Yeah, we're um, way ahead of you. And you... In some areas, not all the areas, but and you know. you illustrated your point with how many of them smoke in bars still. <laughs> well, I when I was in... Eight bars <laughs> of that. Well, when I, was, I, I don't know what it's like in Brussels, but uh, when I was in Madrid last... I was, I was, I, they, they, everyone, everyone who just wants to fag just sparks up in a in a pub in a bar, you know. God. And you you would never see that over here because we're just we're sticklers for rules, we and the rules is we don't do we it, don't you know? smoke in the pub. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was quite a beautiful metaphor actually. Thanks a lot, for, thanks, um, yeah. you're, you're a great writer. <laughs> no, can I can I can I can I just answer, can I just answer? Yes, that of course. Because like, so I had my hand stuck up in the middle of the Michelle Barnier press conference. Only one British journalist had a question given to them, say ten to multiple kind of foreign outlets. Um, on Monday, and that's exactly what I wanted to ask him. I went, Mr. Barnier, would you, or I wanted to go, Mr. Barnier, what would you do if we asked to dynamically align to environmental standards? And that means you would have to match up with Britain's standards. And we are Boris, during the week, has kind of moved forward. Yeah, another area we're way ahead about of. cars. Yeah. And, and, they, and the EU are currently floundering, trying to convince, they had to do a kind of an EU 26 deal because Poland wouldn't sign up to their kind of, their timings to kind of become carbon neutral. Yeah, of They've had to throw hundreds of millions of pounds at them to kind of help them go, it's going to run into the billions to close coal-fired power stations. So that's where we actually kind of do lead the way on a lot of this. And Boris, I don't think, wants to diverge away from standards. What he does, he wants the right to do it. Mm. So I don't think it's even the case of actually diverging and slashing well, regulations. I think that's a really key actually- point, Joe. It's, it's about having the, the, the right to do it, absolutely. Um, but, but he won't do it. But it's just not, being, not, not having to take rules from... 
people who no longer are in charge of us. The Beastie Boys said it best when they said, fight for your right to party, I think. <laughs> I think so. We all love a viral challenge. Will you be partaking in the Brexit red tape challenge? Do you know what it is? Do you want me to no, tell you? I don't know what it is. Sajid Javid is inviting us Brits to write in with um, things that currently exist in the EU rulebook that we want to put a big red line through and say, no, we're not doing it anymore, Mr. Javid. So he's opening up the letterboxes or the PO box probably okay. for um, number 11, is it, where he lives? Bendy Bananas. Yes, exactly. And um, 100 watt light bulbs is another suggestion. Okay. But I wonder if we would all think over the next week about what EU regulations we just don't want to stick anymore and send it to Mr. Javid. Okay. That's great, isn't it? Okay, yeah. Hashtag Brexit red tape challenge. It'll definitely catch on on TikTok. See, that's that's people's politics for you. Yeah. yeah. A cha- calling it a challenge like it's something, like it's that <laughs> like, Drake like dancing bucket. one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good reference. Yeah, so I, I, I'm excited to see how many he gets. And what is it in green ink? Is that what nutters write in? Uh, they, um, I'm not sure that's a technical term anymore, but... Uh, Sorry, not yeah. nutters. Impassioned <laughs> yes. niche pedants. It used to be, yes, green ink brigade. Yeah. Green ink Because the letters to newspapers were written in green ink, which is always a, a little bit of a, oddly enough, a red flag. Yeah. Uh, that, that <laughs> it may not be wholly sane what you're about to read. Um, that was great to touch on on what's going on in Brexit. Now we should come back to this great country. We've, sure. got, a, we've got a ton of things to talk about. I don't, know, I don't know what you want to lead with. We can do uh, John Burko. We could talk about the Labour Leadership Party. I um, think Burko yeah. is, uh, it's just the, the the hideousness that won't go away. Yeah, so this is the sort of controversy surrounding the former common speaker, John yeah. Burko, um, and the row over his proposed peerage made by none other than Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Um, he has been... I mean, inundated with accusations of bullying from his peers, um, including the former Black Rod, whose name I've now lost. David Leakey. David Leakey. Yeah. And, uh, the who, who is a tough guy, 40 years in the army, yeah, right? Yes. This yes, is not yes. a man you would bully lightly, I don't think. Uh, no, no, not at all. Uh, former Commons clerk, Robert Rogers, who's now Lord Liz Vane. You know, yeah, like you're saying, sort of super senior guys who you think probably, you know, yeah. are a little bit robust. Yeah. Um, you know, coming out and talking about the kind of culture of intimidation and whatever else that yeah. John Burke um, is alleged to have overseen. What do you think? I think that if he gets peerage, uh, the House of Lords days are numbered. Send him to York. Don't think. <laughs> I don't think the public will accept it anymore. It's a, it's it's beyond cronyism. It's just this is a when you slice it up. He's a terrible man. He's an annoying. <laughs> just oh, he's everything we hate in one small hideous package. Okay. Um, I'm afraid because he's he's got the arrogance of of I've never known an arrogance political arrogance or actual arrogance like it. Um, he, he's got all these allegations hanging over him, which is just you know he he the public just won't wear it right. There there are the 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 House of Lords cannot continue to be this kind of sinecure role for guys who've scratched politicians' backs. It can't be. There's a, there's a couple of uh, you know decent people. There's Stephen Lawrence's mum's in there. And um, who, who you know, would the be remarkable that kind of person Lawrence. would be fantastic, absolutely. absolutely. Floella Benjamin, who I also think is brilliant, yeah. and uh, she's from uh, Play School, so and she used to work with Brian Kant. Fabulous. So she's used to working with Kants, uh, which which probably helps <laughs> in the House of Lords. I Nikki Morgan's in there. Zach Goldsmith. <laughs> I mean, it really is the great. Two new Tories have been proposed today. Ken Clark. Yes, indeed. Yes, Which is course. the right thing. And uh, Philip Hammond, who yeah. we all love for being so fantastically pro-Britain in the, uh, um, the, the negotiations. He was just doing the right thing. 
Well, but in his mind. But again, well, it, you do. You probably do need a second chamber to check and balance on the first chamber. Yeah, right? that's sensible. But to fill it with uh, cronies who just haven't. It's it's just wrong. It's completely wrong. So if you right? were to, they haven't earned it. They haven't, and they they haven't earned the respect of the of the public. And, and that's the Burko thing. And is losing it kind of day by day. Let's have more Dorian Lawrence's and more Floyd Benjamin's I think and in less Burkos. In, in, in yeah, life, absolutely, I would totally, say. Yeah. Um, so your prediction would be that what Trump, that this nomination might be confirmed and that he won't join the House of Lords. Well, it's very difficult because there is a tradition that the speaker just gets straight into the House of Lords. Would I be right in saying he'd be the he'd be the I'd only be the first speaker, one ever. Yeah, the first yeah, one ever not to yeah. have, not to yeah. been given a peerage? But so it's it's um it's a difficult political decision. But I I think uh, if he the the whole respect public respect will will just completely disappear for that mm. institution, and it should. Yeah. I mean, you say that the second house is a great form of checks and ballots. I mean, we haven't seen that over the pond, have we? In the days last night, as Donald Trump has been fully acquitted from his impeachment trial. But uh, maybe that was more Nancy Pelosi's fault anyway. Uh, Almost, yeah. Um, did you? I, um, obviously, Diane Abbott. Oh, she just chimes in, doesn't she? At the wrong time. Have you seen? She's sort of come. She's come to John Burko's defence. It's bizarre, isn't it? Uh, yeah, completely bizarre. bizarre. He was a lieutenant general who served in Germany, Northern Ireland, and Bosnia. So it seems unlikely that he was bullied. So she's sort of suggesting that if you were in the army, you couldn't have been bullied, and that yeah. he's making it up, um, which I think we'd all agree probably isn't true. And I think well, anyone can be also, bullied. Also, Diane, just shut up. It doesn't right, feel the right time for her to no, chime in. It, absolutely. Yeah. There are other things to talk about. Yeah. Like absolutely. Katy Perry being yeah. annoyed. Have you seen that she's been appointed as the ambassador of the Prince's Trust, the British sorry, the British ambassador of the Prince's Trust to prevent child labour in India. So that's Katy Perry, a Californian-born pop star who is not British or would, Indian. <laughs> it was a bit sketchy on her where she was actually yeah, from. There, she but, sang, yes. um, I don't know, California Girls. I'm vaguely Hot aware of her work. Yeah, it goes yes. like Orlando Bloom, Having, previously married yeah. to Russell Brand. Uh, again, wear strange dresses. Strange dresses, yeah. yeah. And so she's now been given the top job. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. I just I, we had to talk about that because I thought it was utterly bizarre. Uh, a slightly surreal twist in a surreal twist to the podcast yeah, and um, to this, but yeah. But yeah. thanks for Di- thanks Diane. We'll remember that. Yep. Do you remember the Labour Party? We do this gag every week and it's funnier and funnier. (laughs) I do indeed, yes. And uh, uh, can I just point out that we were supposed to have a a Labour MP on the podcast today. I didn't know if you wanted to mention that. Yeah, I did. I absolutely did because um, it was Rosina Allen-Khan who is up for the, well, she's she's, um, vying for the deputy leadership. She is. And, And it would have been fantastic to have a Labour politician and a Labour voice in the podcast. Absolutely. But she just bottled it. Yeah, but she did bottle it. Many times, right? We've tried to set this interview up many times and she just bottled it in the end. And and it's just another missed opportunity for a, you know, to get a Labour voice out there, uh, a Labour I, opinion out there. And considering that they've got lots of voice, lots of seats and votes to win win over, yeah. if when we go yeah. to the polls again, you think... Why don't you just go and talk to the Guardian? Well, quite. You know, there's a load of hearts and minds to win there. Yeah, quite. Preaching quiet. Anyway, I agree. Sorry, no, I, oh, was... right, I'm just, I was just annoyed. No, and that's super annoying. <laughs> um, we've got 59 days to go until the Labour leader um, is announced. In that time, a kangaroo could get pregnant and the baby Joey would be born. Which I learned that today in the Times. Which would be more interesting. I yeah. Think. Or, uh, <laughs> and probably more productive. Yeah, it's a little and baby And more used Joey. to the world. And we need more kangaroos in Australia, we actually, don't we? After we the devastating do. wildfires. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so just to give you a concept of how much longer we've still got. Is the kangaroo in the running by any chance? Because... <laughs> She might, gets my vote. They might be doing a better job. I mean, I don't, has anyone has anyone's opinions on this change? Do we still sort of reluctantly giving it to Keir Starmer, but secretly want it to be Lisa and Andy? Joe, I don't know what you think. 
it's all gone very quiet. I can't remember the last actually good kind of piece of kind of whether it be commentary or even news about the Labour leadership. Um, it's just literally, I think, gone submarine on me. I, 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 I literally have no opinion anymore. I've not. There's no one has said anything. <laughs> oh my goodness! No, no one has said anything that's going to change my kind of my mind and previous kind of ideas. Um, it's going to be a long forty-two so, days, isn't it? Yeah, like what? Fifty-nine. Yeah, fifty-nine. Oh it's got premature, Joey. Sorry. What are they out doing? Are they? Are they like? I, I saw someone um, on my Facebook feed uh, said they spotted a slightly lost Emily Formbury at Southend on Sea train station, Southend Victoria. Um, so are they just just kind of travelling around, kind of canvassing people and hoping to garner extra votes? But I mean, they're not they're not seeming to reach out to the masses anymore. No, no she certainly she has been sort of out and about the most. So she uh, most recently was interviewed on the BBC and she said uh, obviously it was a mistake to have in an election in December. Um, and when asked how all uh, the Labour Party under her would differ to that of uh, the party currently under Corbyn, she said it would be more professional. We will be believable. We will be more credible, and people will say thank goodness the Labour Party's back. I mean that's the level of kind of commentary and insight and kind of fierce fighting talk we're getting out of them um i kind of know what you mean it, I, I mean i have we all just lost have we lost have we are we being well, bad and not paying attention or is it just no, not that paying sexy? Attention, it's just hard to care isn't it because whoever wins it is going to be a voice in the wilderness i'm afraid mm. unless uh boris throws it all away by listening too much to dominic cummings and uh Feeds into his God complex. What a delicious segue that was. So Dominic Cummings has been, he's been making a few noises, hasn't he, recently? There was obviously the uh, behaviour in the lobby, which we will talk about, and also his war on the BBC. And I know you've got strong opinions on both, Paul. What do you think? Um, I, I, well, the, the the lobby thing, which is a bit of an industry thing, and, and I know, but uh, the government of the day cannot pick and choose which journalists they get into press briefings. Yeah. They just can't. They can in uh, Russia. They would have been able to in Stalinist Russia. Uh, I'm sure they can in North Korea and China. Lovely uh, this I'm time sure of year. Uh, but in, in Britain, in uh, free democratic Britain, we don't like that. We yeah. think uh, whatever the hue of the, um, you know, the, the newspaper or the news organisation of the journalist, all journalists get for the same access. Yeah. So this was the news that sort of various sort of left-leaning, I guess we'd call them, or sort of slightly hostile government papers to the government were yeah. denied access to the lobby in the morning, yeah. which included our stablemate, the the Daily Mirror, Indeed. Huffington yeah. Post, and a few other titles. Yeah. Um, I mean, agreed. Is this maybe part of some bigger Dom Cummings genius plan? Like, is there a way that we've all kind of fallen into the trap? I don't really know why. Oh, I've lost an earring. Um, I don't know. I mean, I yeah, it did just seem it just seems too blatantly Stalinist to start leaving key members of the press out of your morning briefing. It's what we were saying last week, that he's, um, he's, he's he's untouchable in Parliament at the moment, but he's not untouchable in the Court of Public Opinion. And and the the Tories could be in power for two or three... Um, you know, for, for, basically, <laughs> Literally, basically, yeah. yeah. Many Unless, giraffe, um, no, many kangaroos rather could be born. You were in the, <laughs> yeah, repopulate the entire, uh, the whole of Australia. But unless uh, Boris... Um, starts acting a little bit like he's acting right now, like he's the king of the world. Yeah, right. Because uh, we don't like that. Um, again, that's that's why we're that's why we're leaving the EU because mm. we don't like um, people telling us how to act, telling us how to think, or, mm. or you know. And that's a little feeling that that that's 
coming out of number 10 at the moment. Yeah. Joe, yeah. how was that? How has this kind of Dom coming stuff been received on the continent? Is anyone paying attention to him in Brussels? You know, do we see him as this kind of incredibly influential figure um, with a hold over the premier store? Is he seen as this kind of badly dressed dweeb with an obsession um, with wearing I, two scarves? Did you see those pictures of him wearing two scarves? What a that, that, killer. On, on his dress sense, that's a parody, surely. I think he's doing it to deliberately kind of annoy people. <laughs> it's, um, it's absolutely no, working. Um, he was, he was. Do you remember? So do you remember there was these kind of all these off the record kind of number ten source quotes about ruining Brussels through No Deal and stuff like that ahead of ahead of the kind of the October deal, um, and they were just kind of going, look, it's it's not even subtle. We know exactly who it is, and we all know it's just kind of posturing in the hope of a kind of forcing a compromise. And in the end, they saw the compromise was actually done by Boris Johnson, um, and when he basically recreated the Northern Ireland only backstop, which was voted down several times with a bit of lipstick on. And then they probably, then I think they actually realised actually Boris is still very much in control. Um, Don Cummings might want to portray himself as this mastermind, but actually he's losing out on kind of all these internal battles. Um, so I think Boris decided with Sajid Javid when they wanted to do more um, when, on kind of spending, when Dominic Cummings wanted to have all these spending. Um, he wanted to just, Dominic Cummings wanted to dismantle the civil service and run it in some sort of mothership out of number 10. Boris has actually said, no, I think I don't mind the civil services. It might need a, a few reforms. But actually, your idea is a bit crazy. Let's not do that. So I, I, I think at the moment we can kind of portray Dominic Cummings as a pantomime villain. And I think his power is probably generally waning in, the, in Whitehall. Like all good pantomimes, the good... Good yeah. prevails. <laughs> Overall, good podcast. Um, he's behind you. <laughs> just, just finally, before we wrap, have you got your shoulders out, chaps? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> because you I have the, Yeah, I've got the oblique reference. Yeah. I'm wearing an off-the-shoulder number yeah. for the podcast. It's only a shame that uh, you can't see. It's a, sh- it's a shame. Put uh, them away. Uh, Tracy Braben wore an off-the-shoulder black dress available on ASOS and has been met by some pretty serious vitriol on Twitter and other places um, for disrespecting the chamber. Um, she th- tweeted, I'd like to confirm I'm not a slag. I'm not hungover. <laughs> I'm not a tart. I'm not about to breastfeed. I'm not a slapper. I'm not drunk. And I haven't just been banged over a wheelie bin. She was just wearing quite a nice frock. Um, is this an example of hashtag everyday sexism? I know a cause that you guys are keen to resolve and take really seriously. Um, is this part of the culture wars? Was Jacob Rees-Mogg when he lounged all over the front benches in his double-breasted suit uh, during the WAB debates more disrespectful? Well, the, um, the sexism fight is one that me and Joe have been at the forefront of for many years. And... Um, so obviously we uh, we took this very seriously. Mm. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't have really noticed it. Really, I mean, it was. I, I guess if uh, if I was an MP and I turned up in a t-shirt, mm. they would probably say, "What you know, WTF? What's he, why he's not got a suit on?" Um, there was a kind of uniform, I guess. Um, it wasn't an unsmart dress, though. It, it was. It was pretty corporate. I, I find it hard to get. My neck is in a twister box. Because, oh, so does she. She's probably not wearing any. No, I'm sure she um, was. I, th- I think it was unwise, probably. Oh, of her? Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. So she yeah. gave she gave an interview to LBC. She said, it's a challenge about women in politics. They're too fat, they're too thin, they're too plain, they're too good looking. Um, we can't win. It's always about how we look and never what we say. Mm, it, that's oh, oh, that's true. That's absolutely all. That is true, true, isn't but it? But what I'm saying is, if, if knowing what the ground rules are, 
why we didn't necessarily put yourself in the front line. I don't think she was actually striking a blow for no. feminism. I, well, I think it's interesting that we just talked... She accidentally talk- wore a dress that, was, had a, had a, had a that we hadn't around. seen, we hadn't seen in, in Parliament before, that's all. They, it I just didn't became know, a Women thing. had shoulders, actually. I didn't know. I didn't even know I had one. Apparently I've got two. Um... I mean, it's interesting that we talk about Dom Cummings, who, yeah, likes to turn up at number 10 with his sort of jeans hanging around his bottom and wearing two scarves yeah. and has an incredibly important role and doesn't seem to be criticised on it. Whereas um, an MP wears a smart, quite trendy dress and, you know, is kind of hounded on Twitter and told that she's a, well, has her moral, well, in, her was, morality brought into though, disrepute. Uh, when it happened, I, I kind of, I looked around the office to see, is, is that considered to be normal office wear, for example, an off-the-shoulder mm. dress? And I couldn't see any. That's all, that's all I'm saying. I realise I'm slightly thin ice here, but <laughs> this um, is interesting. But do, do you know what I mean? It will there, be, is, there is though quite strict a strict set of rules for dress code in in the chamber. But it wasn't an unsmart dress. I mean, we're saying off the shoulder. It was an asymmetric corporate dress that has a kind of draping over the shoulder. But you'd kind of think if someone walked in the office, you'd be going to a party after or something. What? Well, what? Well, you know. Oh, do you think, really? I think so, yeah. She was going to a Labour party. Hey. Um, okay, fine. Well, I'm glad we've solved the sexism, feminism. <laughs> it's not a lot of fun You at wouldn't the know. I don't think you've ever been invited, darling. Um, we've done it all. We've done trade. We've done fish. We've done root vegetables. We've done burko. We've done bullying. We've done cummings. Yeah, the whole of life. Oh, my God. That was incredible, wasn't it? Yeah. And not a crossword uttered. <laughs> <laughs> and we've all learned how long it takes to gestate. Is it a, a baby kangaroo? A joey? 59 days. There you go. Yeah, good for the pub quiz. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. It's an honour and a privilege as always. No, thank you. Thanks, Joe. And I, we will see cool. you all same time, same, well, no, next Wednesday it'll be. Next Wednesday. Yeah, so I haven't got Indeed. any prior engagements. Yeah, next Wednesday. Yeah. Back, on, back on timetable. Back yes. on the timetable. All right, take care. Ta-ra, ta-ra. Well done for making it to the end of an episode of Brexit, The Final Countdown. If you're still enjoying the countdown, you can subscribe for free. And if you're really enjoying the countdown, you can also leave us a review.